If you're a woman who struggles with unwanted sexual behavior, you are not alone. The myth of porn or even lust being just a male problem is just that, a myth. And more importantly, healing and freedom are within reach for you, even if you don't feel like it. In this episode, brave author and speaker Rachel Kalaki shares her struggles with unwanted sexual behavior and a valuable resource for women struggling too. Plus, we talk about the emotions that sexual struggles brought into her life. She shares how she found freedom and helps other women now too. We touch on what freedom from unwanted sexual behavior actually looks like. She offers advice on how you should respond if you have a relapse. And finally, she gives encouragement for any women struggling that feel hopeless. Such a beautiful and refreshing conversation. So keep listening. Welcome to the Restored Podcast, helping you heal and grow from the trauma of your parents' divorce, separation, or broken marriage, so you can feel whole again and break the cycle. I'm your host, Joey Ponerelli. This is episode 105. This episode is also part six of our series called Healing Sexual Brokenness. On this show, we feature stories and expert interviews about how to heal from the trauma of your parents' divorce and broken family, or how to navigate the pain and the problems that stem from it. One of the biggest problems that often stems from your family's breakdown is unwanted sexual behavior like pornography, masturbation, hookup culture, paying for sex, infidelity, and so much more. In fact, one expert found that almost 90% of those who struggle with sexual addiction come from a broken family. In this series, you'll get tactics and resources to overcome unwanted sexual behavior so you can find freedom. And a little trigger warning, this is obviously a mature topic, so we recommend putting in earphones or at least not listening around children. With that, my guest today is Rachel Kalaki. Rachel is a Colorado native, depending on your definition of native, who earned her bachelor's and master's degree in theology from Ave Maria University. After beginning to share her testimony in college, Rachel has had the privilege of hearing dozens of beautiful stories of healing from sexual addiction and is pursuing certification in sexual addiction therapy. Rachel married her husband, Tommy, in 2021, and they now live in Tampa, Florida with their daughter, where she enjoys the beach almost as much as she enjoys the mountains. Her book, Love and Recovery, is available through Ave Maria Press. Pumped for you to hear this conversation, but first, I just wanted to say, in this episode, we do talk about God and faith, and if you don't believe in God, you're totally welcome here. Anyone listening for a while knows that this is not a strictly religious podcast, so wherever you're at, I'm so glad that you're here, and if you don't believe in God, my challenge for you is this, just listen with an open mind. Even if you skip or take out the God parts, you'll still benefit from this episode. And lastly, before we jump in the conversation, funny story, during our interview, I completely lost power in our studio for hours, and so we had to reschedule the interview to finish on another day. And so you'll hear both parts in this episode, but just a warning if we mention that, or maybe the audio sounds a little bit different at parts. Either way, it's a great, super helpful conversation with Rachel. Rachel, such an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Joey. I wanted to start with kind of the obvious question, like why in the world do you care so much about women who struggle with lust or unwanted sexual behavior, however you want to talk about it? Yeah. I Well, I love that this is your first question because usually right out of the gate, people ask me for stats of like why, <laughs> <laughs> why or just that I have to prove that women struggle. So why yeah. do I care? I think because I experience personally the isolation 
and just the heaps upon heaps of shame that are associated with women struggling with sexual addiction in my own story. And then when I would reach out for help, there was just nothing. So I I think I just wanted to create what I would have needed at the time. And yeah, that's why I move forward. That's beautiful. You've felt it. You've been through it. And I want to go deeper there. I'm curious as much as you're comfortable sharing, what's your story? What's your struggle been like with this? Yeah. So I was exposed to porn when I was 13, which statistically is a little bit late. I think the average age for girls is 11 and boys is nine. But it kind of answered a lot of uh, questions I had, a lot of discomfort I had with myself because of early kind of violations of my sexuality that I experienced as a child. So I was headed into middle school with a lot of discomfort and yeah, just already a lot of bodily shame. And so pornography kind of came into my life in in that that season and felt just kind of like medicine to those insecurities and those experiences. And I ended up struggling for about five years after that. So I didn't enter recovery until I was a sophomore in college. But yeah, it was it was five years of kind of this on and off battle with the content itself, but also just with whether or not I was actually struggling. I went through a lot of narratives in my head of, hmm. you know, women don't watch porn, so that can't be what I'm watching or I'm the only one who struggles with this. And so I can't tell anyone or just lots of back and forth. And it kind of felt like because the church was not giving me a framework for women struggling, that meant that God did not have a framework for me struggling. So it was something that went largely unaddressed in my personal prayer life, um, in my friendships. I just, it was really my secret. And I started to slowly come to terms with what I was doing late in high school and I ended up telling my closest friend later on in high school as well. And then in college was when I really came to grips with like what it could do to my life if I didn't get it under control. Mm. I had tried a couple different tactics. Like I had gotten rid of my smartphone for a while. I you know, had tried accountability. I had tried a couple different things, but it took kind of a combination of a bunch of things eventually, but and just a lot of a lot of prayer as well. Mm. But yeah, I didn't I I didn't have the the ability to enter recovery until sophomore year when I finally, those two narratives kind of came together of like, yes, I am a woman. I am struggling with this. And yes, God does want to help me. There's a higher power that can help me. And once those two things came together, I was able to enter some healing. Beautiful. And thanks for sharing so vulnerably. Um, Like you, I was exposed when I was 11 and um, Mm. that became my drug of choice, especially in the wake of my parents' separation and later divorce. And so I yeah. totally get, you know, it's such an uh, addictive thing, but it, it really serves such a basic need of calming ourselves when we feel anxious or mm-hmm. whatever other need that we're filling by yeah. going to it. So, um, so totally hear you there. And I love that, you know, in this, in, in what you just said is just this idea that you can be a woman and be fully woman and still struggle with this stuff. Yeah. Like there's nothing that makes you less female, less women, less feminine um, in struggling with this. Like, obviously we want to break free and leave that behind, but that doesn't make you any less of a woman. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a lot of the narratives that I heard, whether from like secular or even church spaces, it's just, uh, there's just a lot of influence of purity culture of, it seems like we almost would prefer that women were asexual and we spend a lot of time uh, talking to men about their sexuality, talking, there's permission for men to struggle But there was never, like never once did I hear this addressed towards women from either a secular or a church standpoint. Hmm. 
it, a lot of our you know, any talk I heard or any sort of like youth event, it addressed like emotions. It was all about emotions. It was all about modesty, like kind of just the hallmark topics for women, which aren't bad topics, but statistically, uh, you know, when we hear that one in at least one in three porn addicts are women, like it, you know, that kind of begs the question, why are we not addressing this early on? So, and I think there's another study that I saw that said it's like 60% of girls in high school are watching porn regularly. So Hmm. clearly it's a, it's a demographic that's in a lot of, a lot of need. And I was a part of that demographic, but yeah, there just wasn't, there was not any acknowledgement. And so you do kind of start to have this identity crisis of, I love that you said like you're, you're fully woman. It's like, yeah, but when you're in the midst of it, you're questioning, like I'm struggling with a quote unquote male struggle. So what does that say about my femininity? And that's a whole nother level of the healing. It's just kind of reintegrating your femininity, re kind of reestablishing it, owning it and, and being confident in it. It takes a lot of work. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I love that point about like the asexualness. I never put it in that word. Mm-hmm. Like that makes so much sense. And I think a lot of the struggles I've heard from married couples too, almost results in that where the woman almost in many ways becomes asexual. And I wonder what component yeah. like this whole, like you said, purity culture plays in making that a reality within marriage. Any thoughts on that? I know it's kind of Ooh. a side, but <laughs> <laughs> No, that's, that's hot button. I think you're, I think you're getting something right on the nose there. Cause I encounter a lot of the same thing with sort of our married women is yeah. I think there's just been a lot of ignorance of women's desire, women's experience sexually, whether in marriage or outside of it. A lot of the ways we teach young people about sex does not reflect the female experience. It reflects the male experience. So we're not acknowledging that, especially starting out, it can be painful. It can be like very emotional and strange. There can just be a lot of mixed feelings heading into it. There can be a lot of trauma that both men and women experience that affect the relationship. So I think in marriage, Mm. oftentimes... I know in kind of a more religious sphere, we get sort of this prosperity gospel mindset about it of just like, mm-hmm. if we follow this set of ethical rules beforehand, mm-hmm. then in marriage, we'll just experience pure bliss. And you're two broken people bringing very broken stories together to form one beautiful, but broken story. And yeah. so I think when I'm what, at least on my end, when I'm talking with, with women who are dealing with sexual addiction and perhaps Um, some stuff within their marriages, oftentimes they're struggling with sexually addictive behaviors because there's an ignorance or a disregard of their experience happening within their marriage. There's an ignorance of their desire. They're seen as like, uh, just kind of, I don't want to say subordinate, but, but just kind of sexually second, like their, their experience matters less than the male experience. So, um, I don't know if that answers the question, but those are kind of some off the top observations that I have. Totally. And I, I think we, let's stay here for a second. Cause I think this is super, super relevant mm-hmm. to anyone we're scandalizing with this topic. Um, Pope John Paul II wrote about this stuff in love and yes. responsibility. And so just crack that open and you'll, I'm sure be scandalized, but it's, it's so good. Uh, yes. I say that like, and just because this is such an important topic because I agree. I've talked with like plenty of of couples mm-hmm. uh, now married who yeah they were kind of sold this idea like you really well said that if you you know save sex for marriage sex within marriage is going to be pure bliss like you said mm-hmm. and that is just not always the case no. and so it's in fact I, I don't know many cases where that is the case right off the nope. bat it, it takes time to learn how to love essentially and so uh so yeah i think it's it's really important that any young people listening right now especially anyone who's dating or engaged like when you're approaching you know your wedding night you know, it's not going to be uh, pure bliss. And, you know, Rachel, you already threw out like it, it could hurt and probably will. And it's not something that is going to be like mind blowing and amazing uh, right away. But in time, 
if you work it in, love each other and you know communicate well. And it could be really, really beautiful. I remember talking to Chris Stefanik at one point. Um, mm-hmm. He was giving me some advice, and he was saying he's like, "Oh yeah, sex in your 30s is like way better than your 20s." And I was like, "Really? <laughs> like, <laughs> Dive into that, please." <laughs> yeah, nobody like, says that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, wow, okay, yeah, because I, you know, I think um, I know for me, after you know, struggling with pornography and other unwanted yeah. sexual behavior trying to live a pure life and make that making my life so much better. I did have this like goal of marriage of being like, okay, I'm saving everything for marriage. And then I think like within marriage, like, like you so well said, there's like this, the expectations, you know, don't match the reality. And then that leads us into this thing of like, man, I just spent so many years of my life kind of preparing for this, waiting for this, hoping this would be like everything that I imagined. Yeah. And and it's not, it's different. Um, and maybe that's the point, it's different. And so I think that's where I found it so helpful. And, and I try to be that uh, man for other guys is like, if you're someone who's approaching marriage, like talk to ideally the same sex partner in a, in a good marriage that you admire that can give you some like realistic ideas of like what it will be like. I mean, I've done it for all my friends and some of my friends were able to do that for me a little bit, but um, I wish there was one more there as well. So I threw out a lot there, but I'm just curious no. if you have any other advice or thoughts for any young person listening right now, again, who's in the dating scene, who's maybe engaged, moving towards marriage, and we want to yeah. help them avoid maybe what the people we know have been through and perhaps we've been through as well. Yeah, that's, no, I think what you said is so beautiful too, of just seeking out the wisdom in community and just, yeah. Cause I think we feel like we can do that in things like conflict or prayer together or something like Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like, yeah, when I was engaged, I could reach out to some wives who are maybe 10, 20 years ahead of me and ask for advice. But when it comes to the topic of sex, we're like, hands off, like, we don't want to talk about it, yeah. <laughs> which just perpetuates the problem. It's, but it is, it's a place of growth and communication in marriage, just like everything else is. And 100%. it's just, yeah, nothing is 100% perfect from day one. I think, I think what I would say is just like, expect healing, like, Expect healing that like we're all damaged by an over sexualized porn saturated culture. And that even if we have been trying our best to live within sexual integrity, like we're going to be affected by that. So whatever struggles you're bringing from the past and like however much healing you've received, just expect more. And that that's a beautiful thing to experience together. It's not something scary. It just deepens the emotional, physical, spiritual union that you entered into in the first place. But but yeah, just venturing into the conversation doesn't mean scary. It doesn't mean you're going to get hurt. It doesn't mean you're not going to understand each other. And this is going to be just an awkward, terrible place. It just means there's going to be lots of healing. And don't be afraid of that. I think that's it's what marriage is for. That's beautiful. And like you said, I think porn and especially movies too, in a lot of ways, which can certainly be pornographic, yeah. have just like so warped our expectations of what sex will actually look like. We think it's going to be this like crazy, like explosive thing that takes no effort (laughs) it's just like especially like you were saying for women like so much porn not all porn but so much porn is made for men and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's like we've the men have been conditioned to think well all women are like this and so if i do this then therefore my wife will be pleased it's like no no no, that's not how it works so so male centric yeah yeah there's so much more i'm sure we can can say there any final thoughts before we move on no i think what you yeah what you just said begs begs a lot but we can yeah we can move wherever you want Let's go back in time to when, um, yeah, you were just like really, really wrestling with this. Mm-hmm. What were the feelings or emotions that that you were going through? Because I think so often when we have these conversations about like freedom and transformation, we skip over this stuff. So like, 
what was like in your chest? Like, what were you wrestling mm-hmm. with in terms of the feelings and the emotions? Yeah. Thanks for asking. I know for me, again, kind of the, the things that porn kind of soothed in me were just feelings of deep awkwardness or shame or discomfort in regards to my, my femininity and my female body because of lines that had been crossed. And so ironically, you'd, you'd get some relief from consumption or I would get some relief from consumption for just a moment. And then it would end up feeding that feeling even more. Mm. It also created uh, just a lot of isolation and kind of a pattern of dishonesty. Anna Lemke wrote a great book called Dopamine Nation. I don't know if you've ever read it, but no. she talks about how addiction eventually has to be covered in dishonesty because you're so used to covering your tracks with everyone, including yourself, about your unwanted behaviors that it becomes this lying habit where you just kind of end up spiraling. So I kind of, I surrounded myself with kind of a lot of like lies, a lot of dishonesty for a time. I could just very easily make up a version of the truth that served my needs in the moment, which created a lot of dissociation between like myself and reality a lot of the times. Mm. So yeah, it just, I think all of those things, yeah, it just kind of created this perfect storm of just keeping me further and further away from God, myself, other people and yeah, just deep, deep isolation. No, that totally makes sense. And thanks again for sharing so vulnerably. I know this, these are like mm-hmm. sensitive topics, so I appreciate that. And no, I love it. You said I have to check out that book. I think, yeah, just this whole like secrecy, this theme of secrecy in our lives mm-hmm. when we're struggling with this stuff is just so common. And that I think in, even in itself can be like addictive where we just get mm-hmm. so used to the, maybe the excitement or the intrigue or whatever we want to say yeah. about secrecy. And so I think that in and of itself can be, can be a real a real struggle but on that note and feel free to add anything you'd like i'm just curious what helped you find freedom yeah um <laughs> there's a few different things i think it was my senior year of high school that i started to kind of finally put the pieces together admit to myself what i was doing kind of started to desire some freedom so one day without much explanation i just woke up and decided to get rid of my smartphone i remember going to the verizon store and standing behind this older woman who was with her daughter looking for a phone. And the older woman said, like, I just want something with buttons and a small screen and I can press the buttons. And then the guy <laughs> asked me what I wanted. I was like, whatever she's having, like, I'll just <laughs> whatever you find for her is what I want. But that that put some distance between me and and just the availability of porn in my life. So, yeah, just not having a smartphone in my back pocket all the time served me really well. So that created some longer gaps of sobriety, but there was still all the internal stuff brewing. And then I got to college and it was actually a a guy who began pursuing me that it, it kind of his purity and kind of his intentionality about that process and the process of getting to know him and wanting to enter into a relationship with him. That really convicted me and brought my shame to the surface of just like I I can't have the relationship I want if I'm doing this on the side. And that relationship didn't end up lasting very long, but I'm still so grateful that kind of just his virtue led me to a different place, at least for a time, because it wasn't perfect after that either. I I definitely still fell quite a lot, but I was able to enter like long-term recovery a few months after we broke up, which was, um, which was huge for me. So yeah, just kind of being motivated by this desire for for a relationship that wasn't consumed by lust or use and or dishonesty and just one that could be transparent and honest and virtuous and good and uplifting. And then 
yeah, personally, it was also things like exercise, getting the right amount of sleep, filling my cup with like service of other people with good relationships and friendships and opportunities that excited me and used my gifts. And I definitely had to learn how to how to just express my creativity, express my desire in healthy ways. And that took time, but that was huge for me as well. Beautiful. Yeah. So it's not like a one and done thing. I think that's important to Mm -hmm. say because a lot of people maybe have that perspective when they hear people who kind of had these miraculous recoveries where it's like, oh yeah, I just stopped and never looked again. And it's like, that is very, very rare if ever. Maybe that might even be true, but very rare. And then also, yeah, just this reality that we can't just remove it from our life. Like you said before, we need to replace it. We need to find other outlets, other things in our lives that give us life, that give us that dopamine that that we're craving or whatever other chemicals we're craving. So Mm -hmm. that makes so much sense. And I love that holistic approach. And I think it's important, and you can talk about this way more than I could, but it's important to have not just the defensive strategies, but also the uh, offensive strategies. Yeah. Because I think so often we kind of stop with the defensive, like we get an accountability partner, we put, you know, software in our phones or even get rid of the phone. I mean, those are great. Like those are um, good and necessary, but they're not sufficient. Like they don't end up, and that's what I heard you say, like they don't end up bringing you the freedom that you really long for, even if they just work in the short term. Yeah. Well said. An instructor I had once said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's intimacy. Hmm. And I kind of looking at my own story, I can see how that's incredibly true. And also in my work now, I can see how that's incredibly true. I think we, (laughs) we can get addicted to like finding the answer, right? Like finding a silver bullet that will take our addiction away that can become an addicting feeling in and of itself. Just like this will finally be the thing that gets rid of it. Yeah. And yeah, I've never seen no two stories are alike. And even in the work I do now and in the recovery group system that we've kind of created, we have to create a system that welcomes so many different individual stories and can be supplemented by so many different things or act as a supplement to so many different things. You just have to make space for people and their stories and you have to make space for yourself and what you need. And there's just no, <laughs> there's no one thing. I wish there was when that Me too. Would be so easy. <laughs> but yeah, I, looking back at my own story, I, I don't give the best advice on like how I recovered because it took so many different things and there were so many different layers and years of, of work and, and still years of work uncovering what happened and, and why. And I think maybe one of the best things you can do is accept that healing is going to be an ongoing process and to welcome that and, see it as an adventure rather than a threat. That's kind of a big mindset shift, but just that there's going to be layers to this and there's going to be different avenues you take to reveal those layers. Yeah, no, that's so good. I I think it was John Eldridge who wrote that uh, healing, like you said, it's not like a silver bullet. There's not like five steps that everyone can complete. There are some healing principles that we can follow, of course, but it looks different for everyone. Like the particular application can look different. And so the way he said it, I remember is like, it's personal. It's like individual to the person. And I, I found that to be so true. And another thing too, about like kind of reflecting back on your own experience and then giving advice based on that is timing is so big. Like I've seen that mm-hmm. in my life too. It's like literally someone could have said the exact same thing to me or offered this solution, you know, five years ago. And I would have been like, nope, I, I'm not going to do that. I don't want that. And then, you know, five years later, it's like, I'm totally on board. Like, why would I ever say no? (laughs) Yeah. So, so I think that's something when we have these conversations, it's important to kind of take that into account. I know, um, I know that's been the case for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think I had, well, I mean, one of the big parts of my 
kind of entry into recovery was a, a really big experience of prayer and Eucharistic adoration. Mm. And I know that I couldn't have had that experience except like at that very moment, like that was the time to surrender to God. It was like this, this was the moment. I don't know if I could have had it as authentically before or after. And I think trust, like this is another thing that a lot of women ask me is like, what if I don't want to recover? And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, just use St. Augustine's prayer, you know, pray for the, the want to want the desire to want to recover because if you don't have that desire right now, like the trust that God can create it in you, you know, and that's your first step, but don't be ashamed that that's your first step. Like he doesn't want, he doesn't want your journey to be inauthentic. He wants it to be incredibly real. And there's just no, <laughs> there's no forcing it. And I, I think white knuckling recovery only sends you back into the spiral. It's, it's a form of control. So you have to be patient with yourself. Love that. Love that. And how honest is that? I love that someone would say that. Like, I don't know if I want to quit. That's beautiful. I hear it all the time. I hear yeah. it all the time. Yeah. That's that honesty is like totally inspiring to me. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, it, it also shows us that there is something in whatever, you know, addiction or compulsion we have mm-hmm. that is providing for some need that we have. And so when we, yeah. you know, think of cutting it off, we, probably think of having that need go unmet. And of course we wouldn't want that. Why would anyone want that? And so we do need yeah. to find a way to meet that need. And I think people just think it's that's not possible. And so we're going to get into all of that um, with uh, the ministry that you run, the awesome ministry that you run. But before we get there, I'm just curious, like contrast your life for us. Like what was it like when you were in the midst of this mm-hmm. versus now? And I know it's always a work in progress. We're always growing and healing and all that. But um, I'm just curious kind of what, what what's life like now compared to then? Yeah, it's interesting because... Uh... A few things come to mind. Number one, I mean, you can hear one of the greatest effects of my life in the background right now. My daughter's talking. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's very different being a mom, being a wife. Yeah. I, it's funny because I talk about this all the time for work. I have to face my own story daily for work. But at the same time, it feels just kind of like a drop of a drop in the ocean of who I am. It doesn't feel um, like the predominant part of my story. And so I think that's just, that is really interesting is that like, I, I just feel more myself, I think, than I did when I was addicted. I felt, I felt distant from myself, distant from the Lord and his plan for me, but I still felt like myself. I think it just felt like a shell. So at times, so I think now it's just like, I just feel more real, which is, is huge. You know, it's like in, (laughs) It's like in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, how when, you know, the ghosts are treading closer and closer to heaven, the grass beneath their feet becomes like more real, more dense, more hard. And so their kind of ghost-like feet can't tread upon it without getting hurt. They have to become more real in response. Hmm. So I think part of healing for me has just been like my life becoming more and more real, you know, more and more tangible right in front of me. And I have to respond by becoming somebody who can walk in that life. So looking back at kind of my season of addiction, yeah, it just, I can see just a more ghost-like version of Rachel, you know, that wasn't quite as real, but she was there. She was good. She was beautiful. She was loved, but just not quite as real yet. And so I hope I hope I'm just on more and more of a journey of just becoming more myself. And at the end of my life, that that will be, I will be more fully myself, more fully God. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I know um, what what I see from what you've shared with me is that you've kind of built this structure in your life 
that you know not perfect but you built the structure in your life that makes the need for pornography in particular go away and mm -hmm. and or maybe not go away but the lessons the temptation at least and yeah. I, and i think that's beautiful i think there's a big lesson in that and i know you help a lot of women to do exactly mm -hmm. that as well and so i wanted to go there if you would tell us about magdala yeah. like, what do you offer and how does it help women yeah no oh, and i like what you said because i i definitely have felt the the need largely disappear it's off i mean all of us are neurological like biological beings so if por if porn were presented to me again i don't know what my response would be but i have no desire to seek it out which is a gift i think yeah magdala <laughs> i don't know if we talked about this earlier on because it's been a couple days but yeah um i took the small group model that we used on our college campus and our recovery group and launched it to kind of a more virtual platform hmm. So we offer virtual groups for adult women of all ages. We're serving women in 37 countries right now, which is awesome. So we have hundreds and hundreds of participants, such a gift. Wow. We average 12 inquiries a week for a group. So 12 women on average come to us each week asking for help, um, which we are so honored by. And these are women from all walks of life. We have single women, women who are dating, married, mothers. We have religious sisters in our community. Like we have so many beautiful women uh, just engaging engaging with us. So in kind of a closed confidential small group, women journey through a 17 session curriculum that we developed just kind of based on our own, the team's experiences of recovery. We had it reviewed by a team of psychologists and clergy and people who were active kind of in addiction and rehab work to kind of ensure that we were theologically accurate because we're a pastoral resource, but also to ensure that we're psychologically informed and mm. actually helping women build a strong foundation for recovery. So wow. in that curriculum and in their small groups, women cover topics like body image dissatisfaction. They cover woundedness, especially from family of origin and uh, childhood. They cover uh, their triggers, lies about their identity that come from addiction and the shame that kind of ensues. Uh, they talk about spiritual warfare. They talk about sexual integrity in the relationships. There's all sorts of topics that are covered, but just really robust, really fruitful discussions come from it. And each group is led by a woman who is in recovery herself. So women who have received kind of a certain level of stability, so they can then kind of give that out uh, to the women in their groups. And we are always, always looking for small group leaders. So if a woman listening to this is interested, please reach out to us through our website because we're always looking. And we, I think we have two or 200 or so women on our wait list right now to get into a group. Wow. So huge need out there. Yeah. And then we produce content to kind of bring women in through just starting the conversation in the public sphere. So we speak at retreats and events and all sorts of stuff. We're just getting the message out there and trying to kind of reverse the course of how we've spoken about women in this topic. Love that. So good. And yeah, we have a lot of leaders listening as well. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, check out Magda, check out uh, Rachel's talks and bring her in to speak, bring the team in to speak and maybe you can yeah. get up. A, <laughs> get no, yeah, seriously, this is so, so needed. And so I just want to encourage everyone, if that wasn't clear to like take action on this and reach out and at least learn more about it. Mm -hmm. The, I'm curious a little bit more about the groups because I can hear some people maybe asking, wanting to ask more questions. So it's like, in terms of how they work, are they always virtual or can they be in person? How does that, what does that look like? And how long is yeah. a typical session? It sounds like you meet weekly, is that right? They meet at least twice a month. So some leaders prefer to do twice a month. Some of our leaders do weekly. 
the curriculum in total takes about 10 months to journey through as a group. And each session is about an hour or two. We tell leaders to set aside 90 minutes. <laughs> so nice. that's kind of our advice. But yeah, they pray together. They enter into discussion together. We are Catholic in founding and kind of Catholic in ethics, but we have women from all religious traditions joining us, which is awesome. Uh, some women with no religious tradition at all, yeah. uh, but just are focused on on freedom and what sexual integrity can bring to their lives. They're not always virtual. We have chiefly virtual resources so that we can continue that international outreach, but we do partner with college campuses to help them facilitate groups in person. I think we have 12 college campuses heading into this school year because we just launched that last year. And then we also partner with with churches to help them facilitate groups as well. So we'll onboard and train the leaders and mentor them on campuses and, and parishes and yeah, and just kind of walk alongside them as they as they lead. So good. Love that. And if someone listening right now is like, okay, I'm not going to listen to the rest of the interview. I just want to go sign up. How do they do that? Do they, I assume, just go to the website, but I'm curious of the process mm -hmm. from like start to finish. If someone's like afraid, especially like, I don't know what this is going to uh, be like. Yeah. So you go to magdalenministries.org. And then at the top of our website, there's a little tab that says join. There's many, many buttons that say join a group all over the website. So if you can't see it, you will run into one if you poke around the website. And under the join tab, you just kind of select which one you're interested in. Are you interested in a virtual group? Are you interested in bringing Magdalene to your campus or parish or your church? And you just kind of click on the tab. You send in a little bit of info to us. If you're scared, please tell us because <laughs> yeah. we hear that all the time. Many women just send in messages saying like, I don't know if I'm ready. I need to know, no need to know more before I join. We send out tons of information to you. Um, so that you know what you're getting yourself into before you sign up for a group. You have plenty of time to decide. There's no rush. And all of your submissions stay confidential to just our, our leadership team of four. So nobody will see your story and what you submit but us. And we take that whole list to to prayer. So every woman who submits to us is in our prayers. And even if that's all you need right now, we would love to be praying for you. So feel free to submit. And then if you're interested in being a group leader, you go to the join a virtual group tab as well and then can submit that you're interested in being a leader. It's a little box you can check. Thanks for making it so clear. And yeah, I th there's so much fear that holds people back from doing this stuff. So I think that's really helpful to see how simple it is. And um, yeah, and just the fact, I mean, hopefully by this point in the conversation, everyone knows like how just compassionate and empathetic you are. Like it, it just bleeds oh, off thanks. of you, by the way, which is beautiful. That honors me a lot. Yeah. And so I think like, that's going to be your experience of Magdala. You're not going to go hope. to Magdala and <laughs> you're not going to go to Magdala and be judged or shamed for your struggle. It's like, no, no, no. They just want to love you through it and be mm -hmm. there in the midst of the mess with you. So love that. I am curious about, you know, stories of transformation um, of yeah. the women through that. So yeah, what, what kind of successes have you seen? Uh, what successes have the women in your groups experienced? Thanks for asking. Yeah, these are, uh, <laughs> these are the things that kind of keep us going. One of the biggest kind of victories that we've been seeing lately because we started in 2021 and spring of 2021. So we're about two and a half years old. Is in the past year, we've seen this turnover of women who are group participants entering recovery and then becoming small group leaders. So we're really starting mm -hmm. to see traction there of women who receive from our community and then want to give back, which wasn't a part of it at, you know, in the first year, it was largely recruited small group moderators and we still do some recruitment, some women who have recovered through other means and and want to give, but a lot of our leaders are, are past participants, which is huge for us. So there's a couple that, you know, are just 
absolute rock stars. One, one moderator is really good about sending us kind of glory stories. She calls them every few months. She'll just, she'll send us uh, the leadership team an email with some stories. And she said two girls in her group recently were, they were both dating and uh, were both struggling with, I think both pornography and masturbation and had put off their engagements until they entered a stable recovery for about six months. And she emailed saying both of them got engaged this summer and were able to enter mm. into kind of preparing for their vocation, which was awesome. So Beautiful. that was huge. Another kind of angle that we've gotten into recently, that's kind of a story of transformation is we have women who are trying to leave the porn production industry. So they reach out to us for help as well. Those are some of my favorite conversations to have with women. I just think, I think these women are beautiful and I just love talking to them and their courage just absolutely stuns me. I'm just in awe of their their courage to reach out and to leave an industry that's made them very comfortable and provided for them and sometimes the only type of work they've ever known. And yeah. so they're just incredible women. So we get to have those conversations as well, which has been huge. But yeah, there's like so endless stories. We just, <laughs> we uh we love our community. I, I think we're just surrounded by incredibly stunning women inside and out. So I feel very blessed. Love it. I love all those stories and especially that you guys are, you know, helping those women who are stuck in the porn industry. And like mm-hmm. you said, making maybe a lot of money off of it. And it's such a yeah. scary thing to take that jump. So that that's so beautiful. Yeah. In the remaining time we had left, I just want to get your advice on a few things uh, for mm-hmm. all of us listening. One is I'm I'm curious, like what is freedom from sexual brokenness from unwanted sexual behavior in particular actually look like because i know we kind of throw that around a lot um and we touched on this a little bit before like it's not a silver bullet not a one and done thing but i'm curious like let's define that a bit like what does freedom actually look like this is a conversation that we have internally as well because i talk to a lot of women who perhaps are sober or you know, even a few years in, and they just ask, like, will it ever, will it ever be easy? Like, will I ever not have this constant tension and, and difficulty with myself and difficulty with temptation? And I think the answers are resounding yes. I don't think temptation's ever going to go away because we're sinful people and living in a fallen world. And yeah. so I think that a temptation, even if it changes, it's still going to exist. But I think there's an absolute resounding yes to you can be free from this tension you feel between this old answer that you used to give yourself to this new life of like kind of just looking on your sexuality as a whole with blessing. I'd say that's kind of where the past few years have taken me is with the help of some mentors and also just a a really incredible therapist. I was able to dive into my story and look at those those experiences that led me to pornography in the first place and just love that little girl, bless her and carry her forward. Just be like, hmm. you you're good, but you're not you're not driving the car anymore. Now adult Rachel is and and here's what she's learned. Love it. So I think sometimes the little kid in us is still raging a little bit and that can cause the tension and and inhibit our freedom. And so you kind of have to dive into some really hard parts of your story that you feel may not be related to your current struggle, but usually they are. And yeah, so I think I think the people that I talk to who are still feeling a little afraid that they're never going to find freedom, maybe there's just a part of your heart that you're ignoring that just wants to be met where it is, whether that's something from your childhood Um, something from your adolescence or just a place of neglect in your life right now. I think there's just, yeah, you have to engage with your whole heart in order to be free. 
and it's not just freedom from, it's also freedom for, as Fulton Sheen put it. So hmm. um, focusing on what are you free to do now, not just what are you free from and kind of cast your gaze forward rather than backward. That helps too. Love that. So good. And yeah, I think there's probably so many different measures of freedom in, in someone's life, whether it's a man mm -hmm. or a woman. I know we're talking about women in particular here, but yeah. there's obviously the self-mastery component where it's like, if faced with that temptation, you wouldn't say yes, you would say no, that's beautiful. Yeah. But that's not the only measure. You know, I think like you've experienced even the temptation leaving itself is is really a, a beautiful measure of freedom. Mm -hmm. But also, like you said, like the offensive or the proactive component of like, yeah, you, you have these different needs. There's different parts of yourself that um, need to be attended to, whether they're broken or just something that, like you said, physiological, like you need to be working out, like you need, your body needs to feel like the endorphins, like all that good stuff. So I think there's like so many angles to this and it can't be simplified necessarily. So that, I think that's really important, but no, I just love that, uh, that, it, that message again and again, I hope everyone has heard that theme that this is possible. It is possible to break mm -hmm. free. And yes, I think we're, like you said, as humans, we're always going to feel like we're, we're sexual beings. We're always going to be able to, at any point, to feel a temptation to do something wrong sexually. But mm -hmm. we can grow as people and kind of put that in the rearview mirror uh, yeah. as well. And so I think that's such a hopeful message. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think also like making sure that your recovery is your own. You know, I think mm -hmm. we can have models of inspiration and of hope, but even those models are still in recovery and still healing, you know, it's a lifelong thing. So I think just, yeah, maybe sitting intentionally with yourself, with God, asking the right questions of, you know, what do you want for me and, and who am I? And letting that be what drives you forward, not this picture that you have of somebody else in the life they're living now. Like I'd, I have a lot of people mistakenly credit the fact that I'm recovered with my marriage and saying those, you know, that I'm, Oh, you're fine now because you got married. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, no, you don't, you didn't see like the three, four years of really intense work before I even met my husband. Mm -hmm. And that that was the foundation of my long-term recovery was long before I even met him. So I think sometimes we can idolize a state in life. We can idolize a person. We can idolize a life experience, whatever it may be and be like, and set that up kind of as this, this ideal and. I think real freedom comes when you recover as only you can and when you heal as only you can. And hmm. for everybody, that's going to look different, you know? Yeah. No, I love that reminder. That's so good. And yeah, I love that lesson too, of what you just said that, you know, marriage is not like the fulfillment of porn or, you know, something like that. that that's no. such a faulty idea that I think is really popular that, yeah. oh, well, once I have that, I won't need the porn. I won't need the masturbation. It's like, no, 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 yeah. it's, that's, it's actually going to infect your marriage and, Mm -hmm. cause a lot of issues there as well. So I, I'm really grateful for that. And I think uh, one of the things I remember one of my professors uh, at Franciscan talking about is that, you know, you know, you've integrated a virtue into your character. If you can do that virtue, perform that habit, whatever, with ease, promptness, and joy, ease, mm -hmm. promptness, and joy. And so um, if you're not there yet, to everyone listening, that's okay. Like that's the work. That's what we need to do. Yeah. But once you get to that point, um, and again, that's just one component, like there's maybe the sexual struggle, we want to have mastery over that, but there's something so much deeper, like you're saying, of like the healing of the whole person and being able to thrive in life, not just say no to porn. That's just yes. a small part of it. So, yes. but I love that framework of ease, prominence, and joy is kind of a, a measurement of how we're doing mm -hmm. with maybe that particular virtue that there is so much more um, to say that. there. Yeah, I love that. Well, I haven't heard it simplified that much, but yeah, I mean, 
I think it's Aristotle who talks about like virtuous. Yeah, virtue is when it's it's done with ease and not when you have to wrestle with sort of the enemy in yourself or the outside enemy in order to be virtuous. It's when it's done with ease. So I like the ease, promptness, and joy though. That's that's yeah. a, that's a good cap. No, for sure. Wish I could take credit for that, but I can't. Smart, <laughs> smart professor. Along these lines, I think it's so common, right, to be on this path of recovery and then have a relapse. And so if someone yeah. has a relapse, how would you advise that they respond to that? Well, I think relapse is a normal part of recovery too, which I think people wish it wasn't, but I, a relapse was absolutely a part of my story. I think respond with curiosity, which is a weird answer, but instead of immediately condemning yourself, respond with, you know, why did that happen? Like it's a moment to examine your triggers and examine your places of growth and what you've learned, but then also places where you clearly need to be putting in more effort. I think it was Henry Nowen who wrote this great kind of passage about how he was talking about, he may have been talking about relapse in addiction, but he's also talking about just when you fall into a habitual sin that you thought you had gotten out of. But um, when you're driving a car on a road, he was like, you, when you run off the road, you don't get back on at the beginning of the road, you get back on where you, where you drove off. And <laughs> it's kind of the same with relapse of um, you're not at the beginning of the road again. The shame is going to tell you that you are. The shame is going to feel like you are. But you you get back on where you left off. Everything you've gained, you've you've gained, and that hasn't left you. So, take those tools that you have now, enter into curiosity about why you relapse, repent. You know, go through um, what you need to go through to to make yourself right with with God and yourself and other people. Absolutely, but. But be curious about what led you there. And it can be relapse is devastating, but can be a, an incredible learning experience that bolsters your your growth and your recovery long term. Love that. And I think that, yeah, like you're saying, there's so much to be learned in the relapse. I, a priest once told me that Augustine said that less is the sin of the proud. Less mm. is the sin of the proud, which yeah. I think is so true for so many reasons, maybe more that we can even get into in this show. But one of the, I think the, antidotes to lust is not just purity but humility and what is more humbling than relapse yeah <laughs> like, so true so it's like there's i think there's a bigger lesson to be learned than just like okay i slipped up there or maybe even you really slipped up you like you made big mistakes it's like okay get yeah. back on the track get back on the track get back on the track like the temptation in that moment is to become very discouraged and just to walk away and to be mm -hmm. like i'm done i'm done mm -hmm. and and at that point the winning is staying in the game winning is staying in the game and uh and i think like we need to hear that all of us again and again and again in multiple absolutely. areas of our life but especially in this area yeah absolutely it's like um what is it you hear all the fitness instructors talking about how like if you miss a workout just get back in the gym the next day even if it's for 10 minutes like it doesn't matter like just get back in because it's about consistency over performance and it's the same with with recovery i think consistency over performance you know mm. a b plus day or a b minus day is better than one a plus day every once in a while you know so no i love that i i know I'm, uh, the gym that i've been going to recently one of the things that they say along those notes is like just keep moving just keep moving yeah. it's like you don't need to be lifting a crazy amount of weight you don't need to do like yeah. a crazy amount of reps but like keep moving and uh mm. and for me that's been kind of like okay i don't need to be the best i don't need to be like shocking everyone with how fit i am mm -mm. I, I just need to keep moving and stay humble and and that like and there, there's up. yeah mm -hmm. show up and in that like you if you keep doing that you will get to where you want to go eventually it might take longer than you think there might be a few extra detours along the way 
Yeah. Um, but in my experience, like you will get to where you need to be. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. To uh, to the woman listening right now who feels just stuck, who's thinking like, I know I need help, but I just don't want to deal with this mm. right now. What would you say? Mm. I see you, first of all. <laughs> I feel you. Second, that's exactly why like I show up to work every day. That's why my team shows up to work is to create community for you, you know? You are the woman that we have in our mind that we're we're striving to welcome. So <laughs> you're the reason I show up to my desk every day. So just don't leave me hanging, you know, like <laughs> come join us. Yeah, just that we've truly seen and heard it all. And so is God. So even, yeah, even if you feel stuck or just don't want to deal with it, if you just show up, if you just take one step, that's enough. You give him an inch, he'll go a mile. So give an inch. And also, like, I, I know I can speak for myself and my entire team. Like, your story is the source of our joy at work. Hearing hearing stories of, like, incredible, devastating darkness transformed into glory, that is that is our joy. So, mm. we'd be honored if you give us the chance to to see that happen in your life, too, together. But, yeah, feeling sucks one of the <laughs> one of the worst. But, again, just step one is... Uh, Step one's all it takes. And, uh, and you're not committing to like a life sentence or anything no. <laughs> by doing that. It's like, it, it, you know, if for some reason you need to take a breather, a break, uh, you know, that's always an option. And so I think mm -hmm. that's a good thing um, mm -hmm. to, to have in the back of your mind to kind of combat that fear. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that Before we close down here, I'm curious about your book. Tell us yeah. about it. Like what's in it and where can we buy it? Yeah. So it's called Love and Recovery uh, through Ave Maria Press. They reached out to me a couple years ago, just asking if I wanted to kind of write my story down and maybe the things I was learning as our, you know, the leader of our organization and just about women's stories. So that's what I did. I tried to compile kind of using my own story to craft the narrative, but I tried to compile all of the, the best things that we've been learning about what a woman's journey through sexual addiction recovery looks like. So yeah, I, I think I put an interesting spin on a couple things. Uh, there's lots of quoting of C.S. Lewis. So if you don't like him, you probably won't like me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, it can be found through Ave Maria Press or uh, just kind of any major book retailer. But I wrote specifically for women, obviously, but also to serve psychologists, men who are trying to understand the women in their lives, tried to put something in there for everyone. So good. Love that. Thanks so much for, for writing mm -hmm. that. And again, your vulnerability is admirable. And again, it's going to help so many people as I know you've already seen. Thank but you. again, uh, Rachel, how can people find you and Magdala online? Yeah. So I don't have any social media accounts. <laughs> so you Love can't that. find me too much except through uh, Magdala. And then I have a substack called The Contrarian. Uh, so you can follow some of my writing if you want to keep up there. But Magdala is where you're going to find all of the resources that you could be looking for. And that's magdalaministries.org. Our blog is on there. Our podcast is on there. It's also on Apple and Spotify and YouTube. And yeah, and then the opportunities to join a group are also there. And then anybody who's interested in supporting us through group leadership, through financial support, you can also find the links on there. Sweet. Love that. Since this is a podcast audience, quickly, I just wanted to ask, what's your podcast like focus around? I imagine it's maybe stories of recovery and advice or what do you guys cover on there? Oh gosh. Um, kind of whatever I'm feeling like, nice. <laughs> so I don't know if you relate to that, but I just, yeah, I kind of wing it. Yeah. We've covered, uh, everything. We have one of our most popular episodes is on relapse, actually, uh, relapse, the spiritual warfare to just kind of prayer and recovery, kind of the Catholic angle of like confession. We talk about that a lot. We talk about, fertility cycles and and health um, women's health in relation to addiction 
I had a great episode with um, Jay Stringer talking about sexual brokenness and healing. He's amazing. Yeah, it's just kind of all over the place, but it's just so many different elements of what a woman's recovery looks like. We had a series that my husband and I did on uh, technology and media and its role in recovery and kind of making sure that technology's presence in your life is is fruitful and meaningful and not destructive. So yeah, kind of everything under the sun. Is, Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Love it. No, all super relevant to to this audience. And so thank you so much for being here again, Rachel. Um, We'll put all those links in the show notes, guys, so you don't need to remember. Um, But Rachel, I want to give you the final word in closing out. What encouragement would you give to every woman listening right now who's struggling with unwanted sexual behavior? I would say I can't wait to see what God does with your passion (laughs) because that's what's at the bottom of this. And I've just, I've never heard a woman's story where lust is attacking somebody apathetic or boring. It's always attacking the ones who are going to do great things. So yeah, whenever a woman tells me that this is part of her story, I just, I get excited for what God's going to do. I get excited for what he's He's going to do with that desire once lust has been killed, as C.S. Lewis would put it. Such a great conversation. I'm such a big fan of Rachel's and of her team at Magdalene. So make sure to make use of their resources. See the show notes for her book and for other resources that we mentioned as well. And if you or a woman struggling in your life are dealing with unwanted sexual behavior, share this episode with them. There's so much hope. And so if you're that person who needs help, please reach out. They're waiting to help you. They want to help you. Act now. As you likely know, so often at the root of sexual compulsion or brokenness is trauma. But before you can heal it, you have to first understand it. Our free mini course on trauma titled Why You Feel Broken consists of five short videos by a trauma therapist that answers the questions, what is trauma? What impact does it have on your body? How does it affect your emotions? What does it do to your mind? And how does it affect your relationships? Again, once you understand what trauma is and how it's affecting you today, then you can begin to heal and build the life that you long for. To get the free course, it's super easy. Just go to restoredministry.com slash broken, sign up for free, and begin watching the mini course. Again, that's restoredministry.com slash broken, or just click on the link in the show notes. That wraps up this episode. If you know someone who's struggling from their parents' divorce or broken marriage, share this podcast with them. Seriously, just take 30 seconds right now to message them. And in closing, always remember, you are not alone. We're here to help you feel whole again and break the cycle of dysfunction and divorce in your own life. And keep in mind the words of C.S. Lewis, who said, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.